All right, well, let's pick up in the middle of God's disclosure and unfolding of Babylon. And uh, we're going to be picking up in chapter 18, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. But what have we observed so far? But let's begin with prayer. Our Lord, uh, we truly do ask that you would shepherd us through your word. Number one, that we would understand the, to the truth, the facts as they really are, but also the significance of the facts and how it will, and that we might be rightly oriented and making moral choices and, and choices of obedience to you based on the truth that you are presenting to us and that we may see the world in, that surrounds us through your eyes that we may, might truly understand what is in front of us. Because as you, you say in your word, this is Babylon and this began right after the flood, the Tower of Babel, but it's, it's a complex, it is a system that has stood against you and your people since that day with Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. And we ask that it might give us understanding so we can rightly understand our own environment. We ask this of you, good King Jesus, good Shepherd Jesus, amen. As we saw in chapter 16, as the forces of Antichrist came to Jerusalem to annihilate the Jews, they destroyed Babylon. It's almost just like a passing comment, and they destroyed Babylon. All we have seen about Babylon before is its first mention there in chapter 14, where its destruction is declared. And then we have the statement in uh, chapter 14 of it being of the blood. Well, Babylon is destroyed. It, that's, that declaration is made. And now we have, and then we have the uh, statement that Babylon in chapter 16 is how it's destroyed, is the forces of Antichrist come and destroy it. Then in chapter 17, as we looked at it last week, as God, he just, he, he just puts the brakes on the narrative and gives us this giant parentheses of chapter 17 and 18 and into chapter 19 about Babylon. And we saw last week that those ten kings that had submitted themselves and their forces to the rule of Antichrist, that they destroyed those ten horns, those ten kings, destroyed Babylon, but they did it. Yes, in their minds, they're doing it in obedience and in loyalty to the Antichrist because Babylon won't worship the Antichrist. But it's actually God who put it in their hearts. 
And as it says in chapter 17, verse 17, God put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. But God had put it in their minds to destroy Babylon. They're doing it in obedience and loyalty to the Antichrist, but they're actually accomplishing God's purpose. In chapter 17, verse 18, and the woman, the, the, the whore of Babylon, sitting upon the beast that, rain, that is a reflection of all of these uh, anti-Israel forces through the ages, Beginning from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Grecian, Grecian Empire, Rome, revived Rome, and then even that eighth version of the revived Rome is so altered at the time of the midst of the uh, seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist, he's called Antichrist, meaning false Christ. He's a Christ replacement. He's actually going to be struck. We're told this in uh, chapter 13. He is, has a, apparently some kind of wound to his head, may actually have been killed, and then he's resurrected. So he's, a, he's an, a Christ imitator. And he demands that everyone worship him. So we have had this great huge visual of the whore of Babylon sitting on the beast through all these ages on the top of all of these kingdoms actually making use of these systems for their own purpose. And then chapter 18 verse 1, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have, have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Now, we've already touched on this formerly a couple times, where we made the comparison between what it says about Babylon in the book of Revelation and Jericho. And you look at the Jericho when Israel came into the land of Canaan to be as conquerors. And the first city they came to was Jericho. And what were they commanded to do? Well, there had already been spies sent into the land who had gone into Jericho. And they encountered this woman named Rahab, who is a harlot. And she actually protected them and helped them to escape, and then sent the pursuers of these spies in the wrong direction. They made it back, but they told her, when we come back to Jericho to conquer, you and your family, whoever you want to protect, you be here in your place. By the way, she lived right on the wall, and we will rescue you. 
And so when Israel came and surrounded Jericho, what did they do? For seven days, they marched around Jericho in silence. The only sound is the sound of the trumpets. They are being led by seven priests, blowing seven ram's horns. In the midst of their parade is the Ark of the Covenant. The only time in Israel's history when they were given the command to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. So you've got the seven, you've got the people marching around in silence except for the sounding of the trumpets, blown by seven priests with the Ark of the Covenant, and then on the seventh day, having marched around Jericho <coughs> seven times, they stopped and then they, were, then they shouted. And what happened? The walls fell down. The walls fell down. But the men who were the spies went in and rescued Rahab and her family. So you've got, <clears throat> what do we have in the book of Revelation? Revelation 8.1, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And to the seven angels who stand before God, priestly, are handed seven trumpets. And they begin to blow the seven trumpets. And the first six trumpets are all blown in the first half of the tribulation. The seventh trumpet, the sounding of the seventh trumpet, initiates the great tribulation. And, John says, and I saw the Ark of the Covenant being brought out of heaven's temple. And then we have the figure in chapter 17 <coughs> of the whore of Babylon who's the only person whom we can name <coughs> who is in ancient Jericho, Rahab the harlot. But here we have an 18.1 and 2, a mighty, um, an angel comes down from heaven and he cries out with a loud voice, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So with a loud voice, the walls of Babylon fall. And then what's the final thing? In verse 4, 18.4, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. Just as Rahab and her family were rescued, so the people who were part of the Babylon complex that are actually God's people are called out, lest they share in the judgment. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in, their, in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And so you have these seven things about Jericho that are replicated in the book of Revelation about the fall of Babylon. And I think it's very interesting that that fellow Joshua, that's not his original name. His original name, as I recall, was Hoshea. And Moses, with no explanation, just changed his name to Jesus. Joshua, the actual Hebrew pronunciation is Yeshua. That's Hebrew for Jesus. It's the Grecianized, Anglicized, <laughs> Germanized version is Jesus. But it's Jesus, it's Yeshua, it's Joshua. And here's this fellow that's sent to lead Israel into the land of promise who happens to have been given by God's prophet the name that would be the name of their Messiah later. So again, 18.1, after these things, after this picture, 
presented to me of the whore of Babylon sitting on the beast and the explanation given by the angels. I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He is bright and shining. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. These palaces have now been turned into bird sanctuaries. <laughs> That's the best you can say for it. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to his, her works the duplicate of her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure of her glory, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same me measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. I will never pay for my wickedness. Eh, wrong. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. It will be a sudden, sudden payment. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. By the way, this is the mindset of all people who stand in opposition for, to God. This is the mindset of all people who reject this simple gospel. I will get away with it. I will be the exception. I will be the one. I know that what I am, and as I've said scores of times to my congregation, the jails and prisons are filled with people who are going to get away with it. Nobody says, I'm going to rob that bank and I'm going to get caught and I'm going to be convicted and I'm going to go to prison. No, that's never the plan. But how many times does that happen? It happens more often than not. It happens more often than not. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. Why? Because this source of our luxury, of our wealth, has been destroyed. They will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that structure that was a common element of every civilization, of every culture, they are lamenting its loss. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour her judgment is come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. 
for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls. Now, there's nothing wrong with gold and silver, precious stones and silver. Who made them? God did. But they have traded in these luxury items, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, all these luxury items, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. And bodies and souls of men. The slave trade, these impressed servants, the serfs, the people who were bound by laws. I can remember, well, just our own American history, colonial history. The bringing of the slaves from Africa, but also the Irish. A lot of people don't realize if you brought an African slave to the colonies, you would get more money for that African slave than the Irishman. <laughs> and I can remember there was one event in the mid-1700s, I believe it was 1730s or 40s, a ship full of Irish. By the way, the Irish had no legal standing in the courts of Great Britain. They were non-persons. The shipload of Irish being brought to the colonies to be sold into slavery. And about halfway across the ocean, the captain realized, you know, we have the, this cargo of slaves insured. We will actually make more money if they die on this voyage than if we get them to the colonies and sell them. They threw over 130 men, women, and children overboard, turned around and went back and collected the insurance. The wickedness, and that's not just China, all over Asia, there were always the people who were worthy of being oppressed, whom we could use. The Jews, when they were in Egypt, became slaves who had to be freed by God. Trading in the bodies and souls of men as if they were goods that have already been named. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her, by this wicked international system, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city who is clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, 
such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as a trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. One of my grandfathers, my mother's father, he and his three brothers and sister were sister their sister was the youngest of the five he was the oldest of the five they were orphaned in the mid 1880s they lived in liverpool england the youngest sister was adopted by their uncle and his wife who lived in the isle of jersey which is where their mother was from the three middle boys were all went to a an institution there in liverpool called bernardo's and they got sponsored to go to Canada where they could live with farm families and they would be given a place to live they'd be given food they'd be given an education but they had to work for those farmers I believe till they were 20 years old it basically is indentured servants my grandfather went away to sea in a sailing ship made two voyages to the West Indies when he got back after the second voyage, he couldn't find another ship, so he went to the same place, Bernardo's, and they sent him to Canada. But I remember my mother saying that one of her brothers read that book, what was it, four years before the mast? It talks about, and it's a true story, of a man who was uh, shanghai and taken aboard a ship against his will. And he talks about, this is, was in the 1840s, I believe, and he talks about the cruelty at sea. When you were at sea, the ship's captain was literally God. He could throw you overboard. And there was no law to protect you. You were out of the port. And one of his sons, the son who was reading this book, said to his dad, oh, I'm sure this is an exaggeration. And his father said, no, it's not. You could literally be thrown overboard and there was no penalty whatever. And he saw it happen. He said he, there were cabin boys who did not survive the voyage. That's exactly what's portrayed here. And God is pouring out revenge on the system that created that mindset. Verse 21, then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence that great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. There will be no trace. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore no craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. 
for your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. The ultimate persecutor, the ultimate creator of the martyrs was the Babylon system. Because authentic followers of the true and living God were always a threat to them. If you stood for the truth, you were a threat. Chapter 19, verse 1, in my opinion, a poor chapter break because it's, st it's still the same subject. We're going to be transferred from earth to heaven, but it's still the same subject. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are her judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. <coughs> Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures that are always before the throne of God fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Amen means so be it. It is so. Alleluia, praise the Lord. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. This is a banquet in contrast to the banquet that took place before which was the banquet that feasted upon God's people This is the marriage supper of the Lamb taking place in heaven. <coughs> there is another banquet. I'm desperately trying to find it. Um, there is a former banquet, which was a banquet of the um, enemies of God. No, the, f the first banquet is, an, is a banquet of the 
wicked who are rejoicing in their wickedness but now it's been they've been destroyed and by contrast with the whore of Babylon you've got the bride of Christ the whore of Babylon that looks so entrenched so never going to be moved is now destroyed you can't even find a trace and now by contrast we have the marriage supper of the lamb and so the very persecuted those who were martyred by Babylon are now rejoicing at the great as part of the marriage supper of the lamb yes this is the <coughs> this is the church this is the church this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's interesting, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Israel is called the wife of Yahweh. The church is called the bride of Christ. And this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is the first mention. It doesn't use the word church, but I would suggest that this is the first mention of the church as that distinct body of redeemed people since chapter 4. <laughs> When John is called up and we had the word church, 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 19 times in chapters one through three. Then the word disappears from the the narrative. You've got saints of Israel. You've got saints of every nation, tribe, tongue and people. And they're always specific. They're always made clear. And this now we don't have the word church, but we have had that promise formerly in the gospel accounts that there would be a marriage supper of the lamb. And this is the event. Come up here. Well, and it may include more than the church. It may be the martyrs of every gen of every every generation. I'm not. I don't want to get. Yeah. And it's the, they've just declared God's great victory over Babylon. And this is a victory celebration. And it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're stepping into the fullness of their inheritance. And all the gifts are showing up on the table. Verse 5 again, then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. I just want to pause for a moment. Don't ever doubt the power of your God. The Lord God omnipotent the God of all power <clears throat> the God of all power Babylon's power was always a facade it was a power Babylon was allowed to have for a period of time by God for fulfilling his purposes Antichrist is granted power by God for fulfilling for fulfilling his purposes Everything, what does it say in Revelation, or excuse me, Romans 8, 28 and 29? 
we know that all things work together for good. Not all good things work together for good. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to share in his glory, to be made into the image of Christ. Every single thing that happens in your life, if you're an authentic Christian, <clears throat> nobody can look at you cross-eyed without divine permission. And he is, he is maneuvering every single thing in your life experience to drive you into the image of his son. That's the good of Romans 8.28. Again, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, which initiated the process, he also did predestinate to be, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good of Romans 8.28. And what is happening here at the marriage supper of the Lamb? These people, including us, will be stepping into the fullness of his promise. And we will look back on our tests and, oh, yeah, that was worth it. <laughs> because the smallest test will re result in outrageous glory. God is looking for an excuse to pour out divine glory on us. And that's one of the things that's portrayed here in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I want to emphasize again, our God is the Lord God omnipotent, and he reigns. And again, my very favorite expression in the entire scripture is Daniel 5, where Nebuchadnezzar, the maniacal, murderous Babylonian empire, whom God puts out with the cattle for seven years, with eating grass, and then restores his mind, and he becomes a worshiper of the true and living God, I now worship the God. He and this was a decree sent out to the empire. God preserved his throne for seven years. This maniac that's out there eating with the cattle and nobody touched his throne. Can you imagine the temptation that was to all the other power seekers? But God defended his throne for seven years, restored his mind, and he sends this decree out. Daniel 5 is a decree to the Babylonian empire. I now worship the God who governs amongst the host of heaven, the inhabitants of the earth, whose hand cannot be restrained. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I've learned something. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. <laughs> he really does. And that's not a remote thing. It is an immediate thing for every single person. Let us be glad, verse 7, and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Your garment at, the, at this marriage feast, at this wedding feast, 
will be according to the measure of your former loyalty and consistency in your walk with him. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And John just loses it. And he loses a little bit of perspective here. And I fell at his, the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. Stop it. <laughs> I, am your f- the, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. I've, let me straighten out the translation a little bit here. Because it might give the impression that he's one of the brethren. He's not. He's saying, I am a fellow servant of your brethren and of you angels are not our brothers we don't become them we don't become angels when we go to heaven (laughs) okay the angels were part of the original creation we don't become angels so cleanse that out of your mind he's saying i am a fellow servant of you and of your brethren your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, not me. I tell you what, these angels are pretty amazing. The angel that came down when, and rolled the stone away was flashing lightning. And the Roman soldiers who were the guard, whose lives were at stake in protecting that, making sure that seal didn't get broken, they Fainted. We're talking about Roman soldiers fainting. <laughs> These guys had faced a lot of dreadful things, but they fainted at the presence of that angel. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is the very core of the prophetic word? What is, how does the book of Revelation begin? The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is this book, the book of Revelation, is the revelation of Christ. It's not only from him to us, it is also about him. It is where we see the true unfolding of his glory and how it will work out in human history. And who is the one fully elevated by this book of Revelation? Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of him. The Father wants our attention to be upon his Son. The Holy Spirit wants our attention to be upon the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. They're both wanting us to pay it. And this angel is, John, stop it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. He is the spirit of prophecy. He is the one who is to be the focus.
chapter 19, verse 11. Now we move on. As it said back in chapter 16, these ten kings are bringing their armies and they're coming to Jerusalem. They destroy Babylon on the way. But what's job two? Destroying the Jews who are penned up here in the city of Jerusalem. We're going to apply Hitler's final solution. We're going to wipe these people out. That's what we're here to do. And what happens instead? Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. As he judges and makes war, he does it correctly. It's not just saying he is motivated with a righteous motivation. It means he's getting every single aspect of the process down perfect. There isn't going to be any collateral damage. There isn't going to be any, any people who are harmed that weren't on the list to be harmed. No, I mean, one of the, the characteristics of every human battle ever fought was the unintended concept, the unintended victims, the people who were the civilians who were harmed. Or, oh, you know, we really shouldn't have sent our soldiers over there. That was a bad idea because now they got killed and they shouldn't have it. We made a base. No, Jesus' battle plan and his carrying out of the battle is with perfect, consummate skill. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He sees things as they really are. And on his head are many crowns. He is the omnipotent. He has all power. On his head were many crowns. He is the, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of every nation. His eyes were, as a, were like a flame of fire, and his head, like many crown, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Ultimately, you know, I, I, I know this lady right here. I know her. I don't, but I don't know everything about her, my wife. There are things. How much more God? I mean, we will be dwelling in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. The presence of Jesus forever. And when we get to chapters 21 and 22, chapter 21, it says, Jesus will dwell with us. Do you know what? We will never say, well, now I know everything about him. Uh uh. Uh uh. He has a name written which no one knew except himself. There will always be that more to know. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. No one can say, well, Jesus, you don't know what it's like in this test I'm going through. Stop it. I just, this was uh, about a week ago. I saw this on the Internet. and It was a picture of uh, who, who directed and produced the movie uh, the, about Christ, the passion of the Christ. 
it was Mel Gibson sitting and talking to the guy who's playing Jesus. And here Jesus is sitting in this chair with all the stuff, you know, all the stuff about where he was that when he's on the cross and it's Mel Gibson talking to this guy. <laughs> and the caption on the Internet was a little talk with Jesus makes it right. <laughs> Beautiful caption. But. None of us will ever be able to say, no matter how deep and painful our test may be, well, Jesus, you don't know. Oh, yes, he knows more, more, more than we will ever know. He carried the burden of the sin of the entire human race while he was on that cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say that because he didn't know it was an expression of the depth of his pain. The pain of for the first time in all of eternity, God the Son being separated in his fellowship from God the Father, being separated in the fellowship from God the Holy Spirit. My God, the Father, my God, the Holy Spirit, why have you forsaken me? But it wasn't a why that rose from a lack of knowledge. It was a, the cry of our heart. And as I had a wonderful professor once who, has, who guided myself and several other students through the book of Job, God is not offended when we ask why. He wasn't offended when Job asked why. Where Job crossed the line was when he demanded an answer. <laughs> God doesn't owe an answer. We owe him trust. He is the Lord God Almighty. And here is our Lord. He is verse 13. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The author of the book of Revelation, the human author is the Apostle John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in a face-to-face -face relationship with God. And literally in the Greek text, and God was the Word. As emphatic as it could possibly be. He is the Word of God. He is the perfect expression of the reality of who God is to the universe. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So you got your riding lessons in, right? Because you are going to be there. You will be, and I, I, we've talked about this, but imagine being a Jew in Jerusalem about to be annihilated. Imagine being one of those soldiers in one of those armies brought in by the ten kings, and you look up you're about to step in and annihilate the jews the process is already started suddenly the heavens rip open because it is dark in the middle of the day heavens rip open and out rides jesus on a white horse and then the heavens fill jesus is in no hurry he's master he's omnipotent the heavens fill with the saints of every age Filling the heavens behind him, riding white horses. To put it politely, oh, dang. <laughs> Whose idea was this anyways? 
And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine and then white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. What that simply means is, here's a visual, but what it really means is, his weapon is his word. He just has to speak a word. Now notice he's called the word of God. What does it say in John 1.1, the Gospel of John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word. Well, what other book starts with in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It was a ruin and a desolation. And God came out. The Holy Spirit's hovering over it. And God came out and God said 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 and and he set things in order and he filled the order with life and blessing. And who is it in John 1 1 the speaker. And frankly if I was writing a paraphrase of the gospel of John I would write in the beginning was the speaker. And the speaker was in a face to face relationship with God and God was the speaker. And here is the speaker. He has the sword coming out of his mouth. Why? Because his weapon is his word. He speaks things into reality. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's going to be the nature of his rule. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. What did we read in chapter 15? The winepress is outside the city of Jerusalem and it will be tread and the blood will be up to the horse's bridles. And what does it say here? It reminds us of that. He will tread. The, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's why his robe did, looks like it's dipped in blood. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. He's riding a white horse and draped across his thigh is his robe. And on the robe is this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the ruler of all peoples and things king of kings and lord of lords what did nebuchadnezzar say i now worship the god who governs amongst the armies of heaven the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth including me the emperor of babylon he is my king verse 17 Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds. This is the other dinner that I was thinking of. I was thinking about notes. This is the other meal in contrast to the marriage supper of the lamb. Okay. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, also known as the Antichrist, 
also known in Daniel 7 as the little horn. The kings of the earth who have assembled with him and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now they thought they were coming to make war against these Jews in Jerusalem. Ah, uh, no, it hasn't worked out that way. <laughs> You've really come to make war against the God who is their rescuer. And I saw the beast, verse 19, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the, on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. They weren't even killed. They're thrown alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, with sulfur. Brimstone is just an old word for sulfur because the brim of a volcano is a great place to go if you're looking for sulfur. So they called it brimstone. The lake of fire burning with sulfur. And the rest of the armies were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds who had been called to this great feast and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's right. And let me turn you to Zechariah and I would encourage you if you haven't already I've been encouraging you to do this. Zechariah 12, 13 and 14. Passages that I've already cited. Uh, they will look on me. They, the Jews in Jerusalem. This is Zechariah 12. Verse 10, and I will pour on the house of, it, of David. Well, let me, yeah. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, the ability to do something they couldn't otherwise do, and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. This is written 400 years before Jesus' crucifixion. They, the Jewish people, will look on me whom they pierced. There's only one person in all of Jewish history that they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. They will look on me whom they pierce. Why? He's just ripped open the heavens and ridden out. He's come to their rescue. Now I'll pour on them a spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. This is when they had uh, experienced a great battle loss. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The valley, the family of Shimei by itself and their wives by themselves. Well, that's who's Shimei? Shimei was the man who, when David was fleeing Jerusalem with his palace guard, 
cursed David as he fled from his son Absalom, who was coming in the other side of Jerusalem, and cursed him because he had killed Saul. No, he hadn't. Saul killed himself. And then when David came back following the defeat of Absalom, they come back, and here is Shimei groveling, begging not to be killed, and all the men with David, David, let me go over and kill that guy. No, we will not defile this day of gladness in that way. And yet here he is named. Why? Because there's no one whose sin was so bad that if you didn't repent, you wouldn't be forgiven. David, Nathan, Levi, Shimei, all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. 13.1, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And that, okay. Well, this, this either, these are the descendants of David, of Nathan, of Levi, of Shimei. So, no one's family history disqualifies themselves from mercy, is disqualified from mercy. And the fountain of cleansing shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So, You've got a revival going on inside the city of Jerusalem while they're surrounded by the armies of all these nations there to annihilate them. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. I don't quite follow. Well, every Jew, everybody, including the Jews, needs to accept Christ now. I mean, they don't wait. <laughs> no, that's not why. That is because Martin Luther got really hacked off when he came out and nailed his 95 theses to the cathedral door. He thought that the Jewish people there in Germany and Central Europe would just jump on the gospel promise. And when they didn't, he got really angry and just decided to write them off. So that's why they, because he set that precedent of just stiff-arming the Jews, which was a wicked thing. It was a wicked thing that he did. Um, yes, but it was, it happened, the event that created that heart was pretty quickly after he came out, uh, as I understand it. But that's the reason for that. And thankfully, there are a lot of Lutherans that don't follow Martin Luther's advice. <laughs> but now let's jump down to chapter 14, uh, verses 12, thir 12 and 13. Chapter 14 of Zechariah. Of Zechariah, verses, beginning in verse 12, just tw verses 12 and 13. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. 
their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Why will it be that the, instantly the blood will be up to the horse's bridle? Because it's going to fly out of their bodies. Their bodies will literally dissolve at the word of Jesus. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel, in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, on all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. And that's reflected in Revelation 19. Jesus will speak a word <coughs> and suddenly there's the banqueting table set for the carrion eaters. And it will be, and we'll touch on this next week, uh, it will be, I believe, it's either a six or a seven month process whereby Israel will go through the land, cleansing the land of the remains of their enemies. Because you can't leave carcasses and bones laying around <laughs> without being a defilement. And it's going to be a six or seven month process where they're cleaning up the debris. Just to be spectators. None of us, the only warrior in Jesus' army is Jesus. He will speak, it's done. But we are there accompanying him because we took his side in a former generation. It's our privilege. And he's just allowing us to, to accompany him in this great victory. Well, he's going to just create them out of... They don't all have to come from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about the horses that are killed or the horses we're riding. I'm talking about the horses we're riding. Okay. Well, all of every resource, every living resource that's there is. You're going to be glorying in the victory. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. That's right. Our greatest privilege is to be his. That's right. That's right. And what I love is we're not just his servants. He's made us his heirs. We are his sons and daughters. He's we've I mean, what has just happened? The marriage supper of the lamb. He couldn't he couldn't communicate a welcoming intimacy with him any more powerfully than with that figure. Our Lord, we thank you for what is going to happen. We can bank on it. It's a 100% promise. And that day is coming 
when we're going to be right riding side by side and that we're going to look to the side and we'll see Jason and Larry and Rose and Tom and Julie and Ginny and Mark and we'll be wow wow here we are we studied it we talked about it and now it's real that's going to happen because you are the Lord God omnipotent who always fulfills your word. We give you the praise and glory in your name. Faithful, promise-keeping God, we pray. Amen.